0: Welcome to the Future Foodcast. We are a group of food technologists, industry experts, and food enthusiasts talking all about the future of food. We have our sponsor, Farm to Plate, a brainchild of Paramount Software Solutions. Farm to Plate is a software company committed to creating tomorrow's food business ecosystem today. And with that, today, I am so excited to dive into one section of our food business ecosystem with Ellie Kelman. She's the vice president of the flavor division for Citromax, Ellie, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. We are, I I'd love to dive into flavors because it's one of those categories. It's all around me. It's in all the food I eat, but it's not something I always think about. And I'm so curious how you even got started, how you even found out that flavors was a thing that you could that you could work in how did you get started in this it was a complete accident <laughs> you know we
1: all know that flavors are very much a part of our world we just don't ever really think about it i am a scientist by by degree by everything i mean i just love the sciences and my degree happens to be in chemistry and biology and i was going down that path of very traditional chemistry Biology um, lab work. I was working in electron microscopy and it was boring. I I just felt that there was something else that I wanted. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know this industry existed at the time. I fell upon this by accident. I was pursuing a PhD in genetics and I didn't like working with fruit flies all day. It was, you know, you get itchy and just wasn't working. I was applying for other master's and PhD programs when I needed a job. I fell upon a job as a lab technician for international flavors and fragrances. And that was very exciting. I, um, Never knew it existed, it opened up a whole new world for me. A wonderful eye opening experience to see that there's actually an industry that does this. I happen to have had a very uh, sub threshold sense of smell. They tested it and I could smell things that most people can't. A lot of people have it, may or may not be aware of it. I'm sure you know people say, Oh, I could smell things and I have a really sensitive sense of smell. And there are a lot of people that do. Um, But when you have it and you have a degree in chemistry and you have an artistic like, ability, and you have an ability to try things. Um, I was trained to be a flavor chemist, and in the interim, I did go back to school for a master's in chemistry and um, food science, and I got an MBA as well. And that's how I ended up in this industry. I trained to be a flavor chemist, I, but I think the thing about being a flavor chemist is you're always training. You're always smelling. You're always trying new things, and you learn that every time you smell things, it, it goes into your brain and becomes a form. That's amazing to me. And
0: and for those of our listeners who are out there that might be more based in the sciences, there are a lot of jobs in the food industry and applications for the sciences and the flavors is one of them. And I'm so glad, especially with your sensitive sense of smell. I do not think I have that just based on things don't bother me very much. I don't really notice all the time and, and more people do. So they've got the right person in the right seat on the bus, so to speak. So I'm glad that you're there. (laughs) Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do heading up the flavor division.
1: Well, first of all, I never left my passion, which is making flavors. So while I do head run the entire company, I still make flavors. My office actually is strategically located pretty much in the lab. The lab is kind of like a circle and my office is right outside it in it. You know, I just open my door and I'm in my lab. I want to be very much right front and center in the lab. So I still do make flavors. I still create. I will never give that up. But I do run the day-to-day workings of the lab, which means we have food technologists in this division as well, because flavors don't just stand on their own. They're in a bottle and they smell great. You know, you can pull up a bottle and smell it, but they need to find a home. Basically, if it's for a beverage, our food technologists here will take the flavors and put it into a, a beverage. So they'll create the prototype formulations. So we get to see it in the finished product. We don't create finished products. Our customers do. We sell our flavors and it's just very exciting. So I oversee the entire operation. Plus yes. oversee. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Plus, I oversee all the salespeople who go out and get the projects for the work to be done in here so that we get business.
0: So. Well, I was gonna ask that. So you talked about your customers are really companies that need flavors. Correct. And you're the expert in that. Correct. And so they're coming to you for that. Do you keep any of your own flavors or is there something you're best known for? Like well, first of
1: all, this is a very um I guess, secretive industry. We don't talk about our products. I can't tell you what our flavors are in, but they are iconic beverages and other food products. It's a very, um, it's quiet people. We just don't talk about it. Kind of like a known thing in the industry but we do, we also own the formulas. We don't give the formulas. They buy the flavors. We have a 40,000 square foot production facility that makes the finished, finished flavor. So they could order a few thousand kilos of it, or, you know, we, they don't see the formula. And that's one thing that there's a, there's a code of ethics, if you will, uh, you know, like we, we, protect the formulas they don't they belong to us but they are made for our customers we we make sure we're very careful with our with our technology department that everything is protected and that it doesn't get into the wrong hands.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate the confidentiality. And I'm sure your clients are coming to you for that. They are contracting with you. You're protecting the uh, essence of their brand, really. I mean, those flavors are really important to a lot of companies. And so the fact that you are so protective, and I don't want you to give away any industry speak, secrets. I wasn't asking. I know. I know. I just (laughs)
1: want to make it clear.
0: Yeah. No. And I appreciate that. And again, I'm sure your clients really appreciate that. So your day-to-day is really, you're in that creative space where you're getting source ingredients and products, and you're coming up with what your clients are looking for. And I guess sometimes they give you a profile and sometimes they're wanting to know what the latest trends are. I don't know. How does that work? It's both. Sometimes they come to
1: us with a very specific,
0: Specific project. We want this kind of
1: flavor. You know, they could say we want a strawberry flavor, but we want it to be a very jammy and ripe strawberry flavor. And we want it to go into this very specific beverage with this amount of sugar or this amount of no sugar or you know stevia or something and we want it to taste and um, we want delivering different kinds of functional ingredients sometimes they just tell us their wish list and our food technologists will create that prototype and sometimes they send us a base and they say put a flavor in it and make it great and make it cover the off notes perhaps of a functional ingredient. So that's one approach. And sometimes they say, use your marketing department, you know, use information and do a proactive presentation, show us trends, show us where you think it's going. So they use us also for that. And we'll do a lot of proactive demos throughout the year. And oftentimes they're actually used and they take it and they take the, they do get to see the prototype formulation and and they will often launch a product using that. And then they buy the flavor from us. So
0: Right. Because you're the ones that are creating that and you've got the secret sauce of, of how all that works. Now, you talked about as your customers and your potential clients come to you, you're, you're having to interface with really the other departments at your company or the other vertical. Sure.
1: Sure. Well, you know, the company is vertically integrated in citrus, particularly lemon, because we do about 1.2 million lemon trees in Tucumán, Argentina, where it's processed for juice and oil. That is the parent
0: company. It's a lot of trees. <laughs> I, that's exactly my reaction. So that's Citramax owns the 1.2 million lemon trees in Argentina. I imagine that's a really good percentage or maybe they're one of the leading owners of We are actually Argentina. The, second, Argentina. the second largest in the world. Okay, I was thinking that just sounds like a lot to me, although I'm not a lemon tree it's, aficionado, but- It's a lot, <laughs> so there's, it's a lot. There's a couple- couple things they do with that though you've got the oils and also the juices a couple mm-hmm. different applications Correct. and and um I imagine the oils are what you would use the most in some of your flavor right the oils are used in fun. flavors the juice in finished beverage um
1: we yes we do use the oil in a lemon flavor but obviously oils are not soluble. It's not water soluble in the beverage. So there's two ways we can solubilize it. One is by making an emulsion, but then you have an opaque beverage. that has some, um, it's cloudy, or it could be a washed extract, which then it would be clear. So those are two ways of delivering the flavor if it's a citrus.
0: Okay. And how did the whole lemon tree thing even start? Now it's Max, like. How did the company even get started with lemon trees? So
1: the owner currently is Vivian Gluck. Her father um, was a flavor chemist Ah, uh, in Europe, came here and, and did that, and then ended up working for a company that was in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. And at the time, I believe it was the 50s and maybe early 60s, realizing that Argentina was a really fertile soil for lemons. And that is when the lemon industry began, lemon agricultural industry began in Argentina, and he was involved at the beginning. And today, Argentina is the number one lemon growing region in the world.
0: Wow. So honored to be profiling Citramax, uh, you know, as a family owned company, really, and at the forefront of one of the major industries today, really that whole flavor Profile and the second largest owner of lemon trees. I mean, thank you for being with us, for Ellie. I'm just (laughs) feeling honored to be able to share this story with our listeners as well. And I I think it's really neat that you know this was able to be. You know, they just forged this industry, and he came obviously to the U.S. and you know now you're a big provider here um, as well as worldwide. I'm sure, but. So, how do you figure out? You talked about your clients come to you? sometimes they have what they want, but sometimes they want to know what are you seeing out there and what are the consumer mm-hmm. trends? What kind of research? how do you figure that out? How do you know what your what the consumers are wanting? We're pretty yeah. That's
1: it. a great. That's a great question. Um, so obviously, there's a lot of marketing data out there. Personally, the data sometimes, believe it or not, is not current. You know, what's more current is social media because all those conversations are very current and very what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually recently, a couple of years ago, decided to use an incredible platform. It's actually called TasteWise, which follows social media conversations. So basically all of the data from that platform that we're getting is today. It's what people are talking about today. And most times that is really where the trends go. When you have people talking about what they're, cooking what drinks they're making what cocktails they're making what that's what's happening now and those become trends yes. so we're capturing information that's very relevant and very now <laughs> you know it's absolutely in the moment and mm-hmm. we use that combined with I want to say in in loose quote scientific data which is I don't know if it's really scientific, but it's data from the more traditional methods of of capturing marketing data. You know, the Nielsen data, the IRI, but it's really what's current and what's fun and what are people talking about? And so we use that. We put our heads together. We we talk to people. We see what people are looking for, what they're drinking and where you are in life. Obviously, during the pandemic, that all changed. People were looking for very different things. The conversations were very different. The Products that would launch were more immunity based and, you know, and that stayed that way. Mm -hmm. So trends, trends follow life, trends follow where we all are in life. And, um, and then flavors ensue right after that. And what do people want? What are comfort foods? What flavors are comfort flavors? You know, do you go back to nostalgic flavors and make them more current? Those were a lot of trends we worked on.
0: Yeah, and decisions you have to make, and the val the value of what people are talking about currently, today, right now, and social media being able to deliver that yeah, to departments like yours and all of the people that are are trying to figure out what's next and where are consumers looking and what do they want. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about the ability to just call through all of that and and deliver that just like the older, you know, call on the phone marketing analysis and, and asking people questions or or doing right. surveys. Uh, it's just a new way to get into people's heads and into their mm-hmm. living rooms and figure out what they're doing right now. It's it's just ingenious. Immunity, I can imagine, with the pandemic, and now our awareness is for yeah. immune products. I think all of us are paying a little bit more attention to taking care of ourselves and doing those good, positive things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about comfort foods. I just think that's interesting because comfort foods, to me, I'm in the southeast of the United States. You know, uh, we're typically known for you know high fat, high carb, mm-hmm. lots of sugar. And it seems like consumers are saying they want different from that. But I think sometimes people talk one game and then they eat the other game. If yeah, that makes it's, sense. A hundred percent. Or they talk
1: one game and then they eat in, like closet eaters, they eat the sugar. And yes. I I think I think that's, that's okay. You know, finding a happy, you know, own it. Own it and find a happy medium. Sometimes you want to be healthy and maybe 80% of the time you are. And that's okay. You know, and then you go and have a really incredible cocktail. Cocktail. So, you know, if sure. you're going to have that cocktail, you want it to deliver a really big punch. You want it to have extraordinary flavor. You want the alcohol to be high quality. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, nothing is black and white and not in the flavor business and not in in the food industry. You know, people are They're, they want a lot of things that you can't just be boring and only eat, you know, no sugar, only this and only that and only that. And I think it's, I think we're starting to see that I think the pandemic actually helped people's aware, I think heightened people's awareness. Yes, immunity is big, but comfort food is big, people were stuck home. So you want something to make you feel better for the miserable life you're having right now, and <laughs> I think we had some fun with that. I think yes, people have zero zero tolerance for sugar and fat sometimes, but sometimes you want something that delivering, you know, something that's indulgent, but not with the amount of calories that it used to have. Or there's a time and a place for indulgence, and I think that's to me that's where the you know where the food industry is heading, or we're already at it's yeah there's a little of this and a little of that so
0: yeah and we get to choose and i think to your point moderation is the key right mm-hmm. you're going to do what's best for your body and your health and immunity and and all those trends that you were mentioning but at the same time every once in a while you want to treat you don't want to feel like yeah. you're deprived and you can enjoy some of that food that you really really like one thing that was so interesting to me when we talked before was about uh, that I didn't know and maybe some of our listeners don't know either is is how we actually consume things and how the interaction between smell and taste mm-hmm. with our food would you mind explaining that I'd love to so
1: think about I'm going to tell you uh, I'm sure people who have kids or have seen kids at some point when somebody gives them medicine What do they do? You know, the first thing they do instinctively is they hold their nose. You know, where do kids learn that? They learn that it's an instinct because if you can't smell, you can't taste. So if you think about it, they kind of know that instinctively. And the truth is they're absolutely right because um, the only things you taste on your tongue are salt, sweet, sour, and bitter. And now of late, it's umami, which is a savory, but everything you taste is really what you smell. You cannot, if you hold your nose and close your eyes, you probably wouldn't know what you were eating. If you take an onion and an apple, you may think it's the same thing. If you're, other than your eyes might tear. If you're, ears are, you know, your your eyes are closed, your nose is closed, because everything you taste is really what you smell. If you have a cold, I mean, what does food taste like to you? Not much. You'll taste the heat, you'll taste the cold, you'll taste the acid, you'll taste the bitter, you'll taste the sweet and the salt, but you won't taste the discerning differences of how it actually tastes. And that's because that's all by smell. You only smell it. You smell green, you smell sweet, sorry, you smell cherry, you smell floral, you smell jammy notes, you smell, you know, you you smell everything. You don't taste it. And everybody who's listening to this should experiment, hold your nose and describe what you're what you're drinking or eating. It's impossible. And if you think about anosniacs or people who lost their sense of smell during COVID, mm-hmm. ask them what kind of food they ate. Probably very hot, very cold, very sweet, very salty, very bitter, um, maybe with a lot of heat, because that's what you can taste. Nobody thought about smell really until COVID happened. And then suddenly everybody has an interest in it. And we always knew
0: about. <laughs> that the flavor scientists always knew but those of us regular run-of-the-mill consumers really didn't have a clue sure. but I am going to have to experiment Ellie based on this and and try it out and some of my friends and family just for a trial over the holidays I'm going to have to you go. yeah I think that would be really fun to try out all right so review it's salt sweet sweet, sour and sour bitter and bitter and then like spicy. You were Umami. Umami
1: is a savory kind of note. That's a relatively newcomer to the to the tasting piece, but those are the basic four things that you could identify and taste so and cool. Yeah, think about that. And think about another experiment, which I do a lot. I did that when my kids were in school and needed, you know, science experiments. We do it here. We make a beverage that's brown, a carbonated beverage that's brown, a carbonated beverage that's red, and a carbonated beverage that's clear. And you give it to people to taste. The first thing is what you see. So your eyes are going to look at it and already have a decision in your brain what it's going to taste like. People are going to think the brown is a cola. The red is cherry or watermelon or strawberry. And the clear is probably lemon lime because that's just the way. And then you taste it. And it's going to be very interesting to see what people think it tastes like. The experiment was you put a cola flavor in all three. And they will never say that all three are cola. They'll say the, the the dark one, the caramel color one, is cola. They'll say the red one is cherry or watermelon or strawberry, and they'll usually say the the clear one is lemon lime. So
0: <laughs> interesting. You know, I noticed with children's, you know, just medicine that has like a cherry flavor that that they've started to take the dyes out of it. I don't know how many years ago I noticed that, but. It was clear, but it still tasted like right. cherry. And and I had a bit of an argument with my mother. Actually, said, no, it really does look. Put some on your finger because it was clear. Yeah. She didn't want to believe that it actually right. tasted like cherry. Well, yeah, and
1: then you close your eyes when you drink all of them, and then you probably would know the right flavor because you're not um, looking at it. You're actually taste that you're focusing on the smell and the taste. But you know, think about your five senses. First one is what you see. So you look at something and have an assumption of what it's going to taste like based on its color
0: definitely yeah well i bet you can't even walk through like i think about somebody like you with a more sensitive um sense of smell walking through you know you go to the department store at the mall for example and they're always wanting to spray Uh. stuff (laughs) what do you do i go crazy (laughs) i i please leave me alone um
1: You know, every so often I do let them stop me because if it's a new fragrance, but I tend to break it down and go, oh, this has this and this has that. And they're like looking at me, like, how do you know this? But Yeah, I smell everything, you know, wherever I go, the first thing I do is smell when I travel and there are new smells that assault me, not only in a a good way, sometimes Mm -hmm. I want to know what it is. I, I love smelling things and trying to figure out what it is and what is it about that country? What's that smell seems to be predominant in that country. So it's, it's really fun for me. I, I never stop working, I guess, in that sense, because wherever I go, I smell, I need to see, I need to smell everything. I don't just taste things when I go to restaurants I smell it first.
0: Okay. Well that's interesting and you also talked about um the different the, the longer a smell is out there like it might morph a little bit or change a little bit. I know you referred to like your Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes share how that works with So uh, if you if you're <laughs> if you're listening on a podcast and can't see Ellie right now she has she'll explain as she goes. She's got a stick. That's like a wooden stick. Well, it's actually not
1: wooden. It's a kind it's of a, paper. So okay. it's a it's called a blotter. Um, flavor chemists and perfumers have some things in common. The one thing in common is we smell everything. You see perfumers walking around smelling like sticks, these white sticks all the time. Basically what these are is a paper that when you dip it into something, you smell it and you smell first the top notes. So when you dip something in and you smell it, the top, lighter notes come through and then you let it sit on this blotter and it'll change. So in an hour, that's why I let them sit on my desk and sometimes you'll come into my office and see 10 of them and there's, they're timed, you know? So I know that I set this up and then I check it in an hour and I Oh, now I'm smelling this. And then a couple of hours later, Oh no, no, now I smell this. And you know, today it's, ch- and sometimes it sits overnight or I take it home with me. And as I'm driving home, I smell it to see what else comes up. And the bottom notes are the heavier notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stays, the, the vanilla notes, the, the dark brown caramelly notes, and those stay on the on the blotter the longest. So when you're creating a flavor or duplicating a flavor, you can't just do it. You can't just do it from analyzing on a gas chromatogram or mass spectrometer. A spectrometer. You need to smell it. You need to be in the dishes with like, you need to really get down and dirty and smell it. And that's, that's what we have in common with perfumers. And um, we speak each other's language, we'll smell it and say, Oh, I get the green notes, green notes, you typically typically get first, the light fruity notes come off the top. Those are generally esters, esters flash off, they smell fruity and light and wonderful. And then they dissipate. And then the next layer comes through and and that's how you create a flavor and a fragrance. If you, you know, love a certain fragrance, you smell it even on you, you know, it changes. It smells different when you first spray it. And in a few hours later, at the end of the day, when you come home, you see what's left. And those are the bottom notes. They're heavier. And that's the same thing with a flavor. You don't realize it when you taste it, as opposed to a fragrance that lingers throughout the day. You drink a bottle of something, you're drinking it and you're tasting it. You're tasting the top, middle and bottom notes all together. But when you're creating a flavor and you want the complexity, you need to do it on the blotter like this. Amazing. And then it delivers the perfect flavor that's complex, but not necessarily too complex that the consumer will sit there and drink it and have an analytic discussion about it. That's yes. not the intent. You right. just want you just want to build an extra an extraordinary flavor that has complexity, that gives it dimension and that makes you want to go back and drink more.
0: All consumers are not like you, Ellie, and gonna go <laughs> through and analyze everything. No, no, I hope not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Try to figure it out. But that does. I have one other question about that. Then if you're trying to find a flavor for a beverage versus some kind of uh, baked good, that's going to be a different approach, right? Absolutely. A different approach is going to be different and a different delivery. Beverages you drink, you taste.
1: First of all, if it's a baked goods, it gets baked and the flavor flashes off. So you're going to need something with more heavy bottom notes. Okay. Because the lighter notes will flash off. Oh. You need a di- it's a different delivery system. The same flavor in a beverage will taste totally different in a cupcake or in a candy. Candy also gets heated to a very high temperature and then gets cooled down. So you're losing a lot of the top notes. So You can compensate and increase the top notes, but you really want to focus on a flavor that has a lot of the middle and bottom notes that will linger and that you'll taste when you eat the candy or the baked goods. And, you know, you bake things at 350 degrees Fahrenheit, you're baking things off. So your your house is going to smell wonderful, but what you taste is different than what your house smells like.
0: Well, I'm so glad that there are professionals like you who have the science background and the aptitude for figuring all of that out for me. So I get to enjoy the end result and I don't have to figure out how it all (laughs) got there. Thank you for being one of those people. And we have um, covered so many different things about flavors and obviously lemon trees and Citramax. thank you for bringing all that to the forefront but before we leave is there anything else you'd like our audience to know anything you're looking forward to any projects any consumer things you see whatever you'd like
1: well there's a lot of new things coming out but what i can tell all of you consumers is be mindful and and pay attention to what you're drinking and eating we like smart consumers and i don't mean anybody's you know not smart i mean smart in a sense like Educated consumers, know what you're drinking, know what you're eating. It makes our jobs easier. What do you want? You know, Let us know what you want, because if your conversations are, are on social media, we'll get it and we'll make the products that you want. It, I think that's important. I think consumers that know what they're eating and know what they're drinking make our job more fun. We know that we're targeting people that really care, that have you know, a complex palate that that thinks about what they're eating and drinking. We, we like doing that. We like when people actually talk about what they're eating and drinking and um, makes it exciting. You know, if you think about it, it's we are making flavors for you guys. <laughs> We're doing it for our customers, but our customers are out there working for you. They're putting things out on the market, on the store
0: shelves that you're buying. So speak up. Yeah. And good to know that our voices are being heard, you know, as we're talking on social media about what we like and what we're eating and drinking. I really appreciate that insight. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a delight. This was great
1: fun. And uh, it was great talking to you. Well, good. And thank thank
0: you you listeners for being with us for this episode of the Future Foodcast. Thanks to our sponsor, Farm to Plate. They are um, enabling better food supply chain management. You can find out more at farmtoplate.io. Until next time, this is Pam signing out.
1: Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.